This podcast episode is brought to you by Phone Sites. With Phone Sites, you can build a website or sales funnel that generates leads from your mobile device in five minutes or less without any tech skills or without downloading an app. Try it for free for 14 days at phonesites.com forward slash Nate. In 05 and 06, I deployed to Kuwait. I used to wait every day for them to say, Nature going home. I missed my life, missed my wife. For 15 months, she was all alone. But when I got back, I felt out of control. Feeling entitled, I put my life on hold. I keep on drinking, so I'm sinking in a river of liquor. Me and my wife weren't all right. I didn't reconnect with her. I had a business, insurance agent, and rental properties. But is there something bigger than this? I know there's gotta be, so I invested in myself. I started seeing coaches. Life is a camera. I fixed the lens, and now I see in focus. Now my life's unrecognizable from my life just a couple years ago. 17 plus years of marriage has never been better than this. And we got three kids, that's who I do it for I'm gonna be a leader, I'ma lead the way Cause I'm a firm believer, we can do anything we want If I said it then I meant it, I probably already did it Consider it done Consider it done If you need some inspiration, you should play this Championship Leadership Podcast Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Championship Leadership Podcast. And today I have Frank McKinney with us. He's out of Florida and he's in his treehouse uh, overlooking the beautiful ocean out there. And Frank, he's a true modern day renaissance man, a real estate artist, six time international best selling author in five genres, philanthropo capitalist, ultra marathoner, which I'm really excited to, get, to dig into myself, actor and a- aspirational speaker who sees opportunities and creates markets where none exist. With that, Frank, uh, I'm just excited to have you on. Thank you so much for being here. It's kind of cool, Nate. Uh, where, where are you coming from? Yeah, I'm coming out of uh, Minnesota, just south of the, the Twin Cities. All right. So, yeah, well, I spun my computer around and showed you the ocean. I actually work from a treehouse. It's 22 feet above sea level. It's got 12 windows in it. It's got a bathroom, a sink, a shower, a king-size bed, looking at the ocean. It's where I wrote all six of my books from and designed the oceanfront mansions that I build. I've been up here, I mean, not consecutively, but I built this in 2001. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, you showed me the view uh, before we got started. Incredible view. And that's, that's, uh, that's cool. 22 feet above the ocean. Yeah, we're getting ready for a snowstorm here. Actually, we got they're talking about canceling school and everything already tomorrow. Um, oh, so, my gosh. Well, you, you see, I got a leather vest on because last night we got down to 50 degrees <laughs> got a little chilly yeah yeah <laughs> freezing yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and if you watch this uh if you watch the video here uh folks that are listening um you'll be able to you'll be able to see what we're talking about but um the first question i always like to ask frank is uh the name of the podcast championship leadership like what comes to mind for you when you hear championship leadership wow uh i like I've done a few podcasts on leadership, but there, there's a big difference between leadership and championship leadership, right? I think championship no. means you make it to a championship in any sport. You go through a number of levels to get there. You, you know, if you're, if you're in, at the NCAA tournament, you've got to play through 68 
teams to get to a championship. I was a tennis pro for many years. I would enter a draw with 128 people in it. And to become the champion, you got to get all the way to the final one. So you're, pay, you're playing seven rounds of tennis. So championship leadership really, I, I guess it would, to me, mean, and we didn't rehearse this, the, no. um, the, the, the passing the test of time. I mean, you can be a flash-in-the-pan leader yeah. uh, variety, or you can – you can leave a legacy as a leader. And I think that's what it means to me that you've made your way up through the ranks, not just your modern, your, your everyday run of the mill leader, but you are a champion. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I always love asking this question because I always get something different, a different perspective on what it is for each person. And, and uh, yeah, I love that piece too. You know, it really comes down to time, which, which brings me to, you know, today's society, like people want it now, right? They want the, the the big reward, but not maybe necessarily having to go through to do what's required to get it. Like, for instance, ultra marathon running is is uh, probably a uh, excellent segue to that because it's it may sound cool to some people to be like, man, yeah, it'd be really cool to run a hundred miles, and then you actually get out there to do it, <laughs> and in a hurry. The, the shininess wears off and the realness of what you just got yourself into, um, it, it comes quick and you, and it's like, yeah, you got to put the work in. There's no shortcut to, to running any kind of an ultra marathon. Yeah. You know, I, I think we could do a whole podcast on ultra marathoning cause it For is sure. my hobby. It's something that I absolutely love. I stumbled across it late in life in 2004 it's a sport for people that are a little bit older because you do slow down. It's not a sprint. It's not actually, for me, it's not a race. It's an effort in survival. So if I'm running a 100-mile race or the Badwater 135, which is the toughest foot race in the world, according to the National Geographic, 135 miles through the Death Valley Desert in 125-degree heat in July on 200-degree blacktop pavement, nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it, the way I approach it, once I got hooked on ultra marathoning, it really helped my career. I finished Badwater seven times. That's incredible. I failed four times, so I know what it's like not to see the finish line. Mm -hmm. But you know, if, if anybody listening or watching this podcast, if, if the thought of running 135 miles through Death Valley in July and those heat, insurmountable, incomprehensible, and impossible. Yeah. But if I asked you, could you run one mile? Could Most people watching this could run one mile and then do that 135 times. Yeah, It's a good way to look at life. You know, something yeah, that's insurmountable, incomprehensible, and impossible. First of all, when it lays itself on your heart, you got two choices. Say yes out of fear. I'm sorry, say no out of fear or yes out of the pursuit of something that intoxicates you. Yeah. Like when I found out about that race, I couldn't believe people did that. Yeah. I wasn't an ultra marathoner. I wasn't even a marathoner, Nate. I, I was just, I was a tennis pro. So I was a fast twitch muscle guy. Yeah. And and now having gone out there almost every year since 2005 uh, and doing that one mile at a time, you know, really just, my, I'm not fast. My average finish time is 44 hours and the race they give you 48. So, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm toward the back of the pack, but I know, I know the definition of relentless forward motion. And that is a great way to approach life. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, talk about it. What, what brought you, you just came across it? Like, yeah, how did you, how did you find out about the bad Again, we only got that? like, you know, 45 minutes, but yeah. I was, I had never heard the word ultra marathon uttered in my life, but I knew Death Valley, California was the hottest place in the world. So in 04, I booked yeah. a vacation there with my family just for the hell of it, just because I wanted to be <laughs> in the hottest place. I didn't even tell my wife and daughter 
We, <laughs> we went to Vegas and then we drove two hours out to Death Valley. By the way, I recommend everybody go visit Death Valley National Park. It's the most beautiful place on the planet. Matter of fact, is it? It is. And my, yeah. my will reads that my ashes are to be spread across the Badwater Racecourse in Death Valley. It's that pretty. That's awesome. Anyway, I went out there. We, uh, we were visiting. And, and again, as a fast twitch muscle guy, I'm out there running my six miles and, you know, my 10K in 40 minutes or so. Well, yeah. I, I barely made three miles before I had heat exhaustion. Wow. I end up crawling back to the hotel. By the way, in the middle of the desert, there are half-star hotels. There's not. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. There, yeah. There's scorpions on the floor. Yeah. So I'm crawling back to the general store, literally crawling along the highway. And when I get to the general store, I go to the, the, the counter to pay for my Gatorade and bananas. And the guy starts yelling at me. He says, he says, son, you better get back out there. You're in last place. If you don't hurry up, you're going to miss the cutoff. Oh, no so way. I'm already, I'm already heat exhausted, right? Yeah. Near heat stroke, Nate. Yeah. And I look at the guy. He had these spectacles on like little, a little prospector would have in the, you know, a 49er prospector. I look at him. I say, what are you talking about? Hey, the last runner just passed here 20 minutes ago. You're never going to make it by the cutoff. <laughs> Long story short, I happened to book a vacation during the Badwater Ultra Marathon. Oh, had wow. no idea what was going on. Had no idea there was such a thing. I got in, immediately enamored by the fact that people did that. And a year to the day in 2005, a year from that day into 2005, I was at the start line with 100 other people invited from 25 other countries. That's, that's incredible. And so, yeah, you, you don't just, you don't get to just sign up for the bad water. Like you got to qualify for that thing. So, yeah. So yeah. Talk about that journey. Cause, uh, well now it's really to hard to get into work the bad water. Yeah. Huh? You, you, you need a, you need a resume. A yeah. Significant resume. Back then you needed one 100 mile race on your resume. Uh, and I had a coach that got me ready to run a hundred mile race in six weeks. I had never run a marathon let alone a hundred mile qualifier. Yeah. So I got that on my resume. I've written six books. I'm a, I can write a mean application. I, I know yeah. how to parse yeah, every yeah. word. And, and I was invited. I mean, here I was a, a, a neophyte compared to everybody. Nowadays you have to have three 100 miles on your resume. They have to be within the last year. It's really hard to get into bad water now. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know if I would be invited back because my, I, I just love that race. I don't necessarily love the sport. Yeah, I like the sport, but I, I don't love it. I love the Badwater Ultra Marathon. Yeah, yeah. What is it inside of that Badwater Ultra Marathon that um, you know? Let's just talk. Think from a leadership standpoint. Like, what are what are what does it teach you? What are the you know? Because the course, the environment, the like everything. Like, what does it teach you that that you are able to take out and and that you pull out? My life, my life has never been the same since that first race in 05. Uh, and again, I've started 12 of them. Uh, that insurmountable, incomprehensible, and impossible undertaking, once you overtake it and succeed, some of the most beautiful homes that I've designed and built have happened since the bad war. I've, I've built beautiful houses yeah. on the ocean on speculation, upwards of $50 million, meaning I build them without a buyer in mind. I have a $15 million house I just finished. I don't have a buyer. Like the Field of Dreams, build it and they will come. We hope yeah. they will come. But bad water, once I realized I could con convert myself to a, I wouldn't say a couch potato, but like a six miles was all I would really do. Yeah. Here's the statement I want everybody to focus on. 
uh, get the mind right and the money will follow. Get the mind right and the miles will follow. Yeah. What? Because because I couldn't imagine running a marathon or twenty miles or now now yeah. when I'm training for Badwater, I'll go on a fifty mile training run like it's nothing. Sure. I, yeah. It's slow, Nate. I'm slow. It takes me twelve hours to finish yeah. it. But I will tell you that relentless forward motion that you apply to something like Badwater, either training or the race, is perfectly applicable to life. Yeah, and you know, just think about the time required. Like you said, you you'll go on a training run that's like nothing. And to most people listening, like because I can remember not that long ago when two miles, the thought of two miles was insurmountable. Almost, you know, it was like that's that was a long run. Now I'm like, after running 100 miles, it's that is that's not even getting started, right? I mean, it's just uh, right. The perspective but I will tell you the other thing about ultra marathoning, and again, it, how it's it's synonymous with life. Um, a marathon is a race. Like people, you're kicking your heels mm -hmm. up and you're having this big long stride. Ultra marathoning, I had to completely change my stride. I shuffle. It's basically you keep your feet very close to the ground to conserve energy. I'm running when I'm running. I'm running maybe an, uh, an 11 minute mile or 12 sometimes, but I'm walking about a 14 minute mile. Yeah. And I'll tell you, if you if you think 20 miles is is you know is, is hard to do, during my training, I'll, I'll typically walk a half a mile, run a mile and a half, walk yeah. a half a mile, run a mile and a half. And during that half mile, I might drink, I might eat, I might go to the bathroom or something. But if you do that, if you do that 10 times, walk a half, run a mile and a half. You do it 10 times, you're, you're at 20 miles before you know it. Yeah, right. And, and so, well, and then also, like you said, Nate, that first two miles seems like it was really far. In training, you're really training this. Because if I were to train right now for bad water, physically, I'd probably improve my, my, my physical fitness by 5 to 10%. That's it. Yeah. It's this that needs to improve by 50%. And once you improve this, Think of an old pair of, for, for the guys out there, uh, an old pair of underwear where you put them on and the elastic stretches and yeah. they're so old it never stretches back. You right. know, yeah. that's what happens. I, I yeah. go on what I call these shock runs where I'll do, let's say at the beginning of my training, I'll do five miles and then I won't do six or seven. The next Saturday I'll do 10. And the Saturday mm -hmm. after that I'll do 18. Mm -hmm. Shocking the mind into these distances rather than building up to them because that's what an ultra marathon is all about a shockingly long distance. Yeah, I love it. So, well, maybe talk. I usually ask, um, you know, who are some of the people that have impacted you as, as championship leaders? But I want to I want to take this maybe back to Badwater because I can think of the people like uh, Scott Jerick, David Goggins, Charlie Engel. Um, yep. those are just the race Kynazzi. with all those guys. I race yeah. with all those guys. Yeah, Actually, yeah, so. I hardly use the word race because I remember <laughs> yeah. in, in my early, when, when Jerick won in like 05 or 06, can't remember. I remember him. So, so let me just give you some math and some statistics. This year's winner won in under, uh, in under 21 and a half hours. Wow. Uh, my, my average finish time is 44 hours, basically double, double. what he yeah. did. So you, it's hard to put that in perspective, but wherever you are, wherever your interstate is, imagine going 60 miles an hour on your interstate and a car passes you doing 120. <laughs> yep. that, that, I mean, you, that's happened yeah. to me before on the interstate where a car yeah. or a motorcycle just, yeah, I'm like, oh my God, that person's going to die. They're going so fast. That's yeah. how fast the jerks of the world, um, the, well, Goggins isn't that fast, but he's, he's, you know, he's, he's pretty fast. 
But yeah. to think of running, you know, 135 miles in that heat in 21 and a half hours, it's a nine and a half minute mile Yeah. with elevation gain. So when it, when it came to being inspired by people at Badwater, I mean, I had a coach, Lisa Smith-Batchin was my very first coach. She's finished the race now 10 times. She's okay. retired, but she did finish it 10 times. Uh, Marshall Ulrich, who's finished the race. You need yeah. to get him on your podcast. Yeah. 20, 20 times. Those people I looked up to, but, but more than individuals, I think the collective whole of that cult, it's really a cult in a positive sense, not a negative cult. Yep. A cult of, of, of runners that, with a mindset that was similar to mine where I felt at home where I didn't have to explain myself. In, in Florida, like people say, Frank, you're getting old. Like, why in the hell would you, why would you do that to your body? Why, why, why? I'm so tired of answering the, my answer is why? Because I still can. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. But out there, nobody asks why. It's just one big group mm -hmm. hug. <laughs> yeah. What are some of the things that you, uh, the, the traits and the characteristics uh, like yourself, like these other guys that we talked about, um that 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 put choose to put themselves in in these situations like they're they're just built differently right it's what? yeah it's beyond a lot of people assume you do it for the challenge it's not the case i mean that yeah. might be the case for a marathon to me i mean this is going to go a little deep but I, i'm i'm a christian and i know why a lot of the most poignant parts of the bible were written in and or about the desert the spiritual awakening that takes place for me out there alone, raw, no cell phone, no, yeah. no nothing other than my relentless forward motion and my crew who's caring for me makes me feel alive. Like I feel everybody listening and watching this podcast, we feel most alive when we experience extremes for the first time. Mm -hmm. My definition of extreme may be different than yours, but we all want to feel alive. So, you know, going out there and and, and feeling alive and, and, and really stretching the mind to a point where it's never going to be the same again. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm regretting or lamenting the fact that I am getting older and there will be a day that I won't be able to do it. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, there's guys that finish into their seventies. I'm not one of those people, I don't think, yeah. but, but that, that mindset that is forever changed by taking on something insurmountable, incomprehensible and impossible. And it doesn't have to be bad or it doesn't have to be ultra marathoning. Right. I say yes, more than no to opportunities because yeah. of bad water. What's um, you were there this year. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah tell, tell us the story of what happened this year. So I, I, I love that race so much and I have about close to 40,000 miles on my knees now. Mm -hmm. As a tennis pro, which is a lot of starting and stopping and oh, digging yeah. into the, that was in my teens and twenties. And then as a fast twitch muscle person who taught tennis for a while. So I have a ton of miles hard. I mean, I'm the type of tennis player that would dive on concrete for a ball, you know? Yeah. And, and then all my training, I have, I had no cartilage in my right knee. So I had cadaver cartilage put into my knee. Um, and then stem cell put in there to help it grow back. Not because I give a darn walking to my mailbox to get how my knee, feel, knee feels walking to my mailbox to get my mail. I don't care about that. Yeah. I want to run bad water again. So <laughs> I went through all the surgeries and all the stem cell. I get there. I got invited. I had to run a qualifying race, which I mm -hmm. hobbled along and I got it on my resume. I got there and Nate in 500 yards, which is basically 135 meters, not 135 miles. Yeah. 
I tore a tendon on the bottom of my right foot that wouldn't allow me to push off at all. I mm. hobbled for about seven miles down the road, hoping it was a cramp or something, but it wasn't. So I was out of the race before yeah. it even started. Yeah. Broken hearted, broken hearted. I believe it. Yeah. So uh, what do you take from the, from those experiences? You know, maybe it's this year's and the other three where you didn't finish. Like, you yeah. Know, how do you take like, those? You know, you, in, in years past when I've DNF'd, uh, I was so heartbroken. I would get in the car and just drive to the airport crying. I, I mean, yeah. I just, I just, I just bailed, which is selfish. Uh, yeah. I had my crew out there. They spent money to go out there. So this year I was, I, I hate to say this. Well, I don't hate to say it, but it's, it was a revelation. It might've been my best race ever. Because once I was out, I, I was heartbroken sitting on the back of the, of the crew vehicle thinking, oh, my God, I can't believe this. But I stayed the entire 48 hours with my van, passing out all of my supplements and all my drinks and all my food. And because I'm a, you know, I've been out there 11 times, yeah. all my advice to people at mile 106 that were ready to quit that's so awesome. I just went, me and my, my one crew member went up and down the race course all day and all night offering emotional and, and dietary and nutritional support for two days straight. And I know I saved a couple people's races and that felt yeah. really good. Oh, that's incredible that you did that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's so great. Cause I think the, the initial response for most would be like, oh, I'm out of here, all, all tied up in themselves and yep. you know, probably tying some of their worth to, man, I didn't finish this race. Yeah. And uh, it happened to me. Yeah. I mean, there were years yeah. past that I was so inconsolable, mm -hmm. breaking things in the van and, and, and then sprinting to the airport in Vegas and getting, I was on a plane at one year, I DNF'd at mile 27 because I had a heart problem and my heart went into AFib, which had never had before. I was on a plane home before the race was even finished yeah. that's how quick i got the freak out of there no more that was just so selfish and 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 this year taught me a lot about myself that's great what's um you know let's talk a little bit maybe shift gears um you're an author uh internationally acclaimed author and so where did that come from you know you've talked about being a tennis pro running marathons you, you design uh, uh incredible incredible homes on the ocean with with no buyer in sight you know yet and uh, where did where does the being an author and writing novels and books? You know, in high school, I, I graduated high school, my my fourth high school in four years with a one point eight GPA, and it would have been a zero point eight had it not been for the the high grades I got in English and literature and writing, creative writing. So my first book came out in two thousand and two called Make It Big, did very well. It's a philosophical book. Uh, then my second book is a real estate book, Frank McKinney's Maverick Approach to Real Estate Success, which is basically teaching people how to take risks, again, mm -hmm. bad water, but take risks yeah. in the real estate world and how to be a maverick and have those risks pay off. Then I released a spiritual book called The Tap, which is based upon the passage from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 48, to whom much is entrusted, much is expected, to whom mm -hmm. much is entrusted, much is required. I released a young reader fantasy novel, Dead Fred, Flying Lunchboxes, The Good Luck Circle that competes with uh, Twilight and Hunger Games and Narnia, based upon the fact I walk my daughter to school every day for 10 years. 1,652 times I walk my daughter to school. Never sat in the backseat of the car from pre-K to eighth grade. Then I released a second real estate book called Burst This, Frank McKinney's Bubble Proof Real Estate Strategies to teach people how to invest in real estate and really bubble proof that investment because we know we go through these ine inevitable cycles in real estate. And then my newest book is a Christian romance novel. 
So I love writing. It's five genres and six books. I wrote them all from here in the treehouse, right at my desk here, and and it's it is uh, it's an outlet for me. I love writing. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. And do you, uh, you know, when you're out on the road and you got all these miles, is there a lot of inspiration that comes uh, f- from that time to where you can carry that into the treehouse and create some of these? Uh, yeah, books that you I, I think championship leadership starts at about four a.m. I think yeah. people that get up, I get up. Like this morning, I, I hit the road. I'm real, I'm slow. I'm still. I got another round of stem cell on my knee. Uh, I walk a mile now, run a mile, walk a mile, run a mile, try to get my my endurance back up. But I'm out there at 4:30 this morning, and that I will tell you, Nate, that some of the design ideas, some of the ideas from my books, come to me on that road. I run along the ocean, so I have a beautiful. Well, I don't see anything. It's dark, but I'm still. I can yeah. hear the waves. Yeah. Uh, I I can run down the middle of the road at 4:30 in the morning, and very few cars come along. Mm-hmm. And, and I really encourage people to, to get up early, go to bed early, get up early. And, and, and when, you, when you make a commitment to something, so let me, let me just get into motivation for a second. Yeah, let's do it. It'll be really quick <clears throat> because it's really important that you focus on. I just came from a huge event in Anaheim where I spoke in front of 2,500 people, shared the stage with Dr. Phil, uh, George Ross, who was Trump's right-hand man in The Apprentice. Motivation. You... Nate, you, viewer, and me, Frank McKinney, can't stay motivated. We as a species are not wired to stay motivated. Motivation, if I did a crappy job on this podcast, the motivation you got from me will wash off your body and go down the drain with the soap tonight. Yeah. Because motivation doesn't last. I mean, read a motivational quote on Facebook or something, and it's gone in a second. So don't quit beating yourself up over the fact that you and me can't stay motivated. What about inspiration, Frank? Okay, inspiration, while motivation washes off and goes down the drain with the soap, inspiration lasts about as long as a bad sunburn. In other words, it lingers. You watch an inspirational movie, you read an inspirational book, it'll linger much longer than motivation, but eventually it dissipates. Mm -hmm. I can't stay motivated, I can't stay inspired. What I put my finger on about a decade ago was aspiration. Aspiration can alter your DNA, as evidenced by my seven finishes at Badwater when I wasn't wired as an ultramarathon runner. I aspired to finish the toughest foot race in the world. Now, was I motivated every day to do so? No. Was I inspired every day by Goggins and Jurek and all that? Nope, I wasn't. Um, but I never lost the aspiration to finish that race. I never lost the aspiration to finish writing my, you know, all my books. Like, did I feel like writing every single day? Hell no. (laughs) But I aspired to be a best-selling author. So I kept at it. Same thing with running the charity. We run a huge charity in Haiti where we built 27 self-sufficient, 27 and 28 now in the poorest country in the Western hemisphere. I, I aspired to run a charity in the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. You can't stay mo- you can't motivate to that or inspire to that because it'll wear off and you'll you'll bounce from one thing to the next. So I encourage you two simple exercises. Who do you aspire to emulate? You asked me that a second ago at Badwater. Like who did I aspire to emulate? Who did you look up to? That is a fun exercise in life. And what legacy do you aspire to leave behind? 
when you like mm -hmm. those are two i got a bunch of other questions but those are two simple ones if you can identify who you aspire to emulate to copy to be like and identify what legacy you want to leave behind you're off to the races you won't let go of that whereas some mornings you're going to hit the snooze button and not feel motivated you're going to feel sick or whatever but i never lose sight of my aspirational ideas and endeavors and dreams never yeah that's that's an incredible distinction to have and one that it's missed on many, I think. And so, yeah, thank you for that. And what's, and to play into that, I think is championship leaders, they have, they have a great vision and obviously you have a great vision. Um, you know, you've done a lot of different things, uh, you know, from being an author to tennis pro to ultra marathons at the highest level, like for people that, that are hearing us talk about the bad water, like, if you don't know what it is, you're probably just like, yeah, whatever. It's just like, no, go Google the bad water or watch a quick YouTube video to really try and get it. Uh, you don't have like, to. I think we're discrediting what it really is because it's yeah. like crazy. You don't have to listen. It's really important. Uh, just because you and I are passionate about ultra running, yeah. you don't have to be into ultra running to understand the metaphor that is the bad water one third. It could, maybe it was a let's say it was a fake thing. I mean, it maybe it never existed, but yeah. to run 135 miles in that heat for that far for that long as far as non-stop yeah you tie that i i've given a talk called conquering your life's bad waters yeah. and i use bad water as the metaphor for everybody else's bad water because it's not going to be the actual race there's a there's thousands of individual bad waters insurmountable incomprehensible and impossible things yeah. that lay themselves on your heart nate and what are we going to do most people run away from them mm-hmm instead of embracing them and aspiring to complete them, whatever they may be. Yeah. Well, that's why I love having guests like yourself on here because uh, it, it is, it's uh, it's something that people can aspire to if they really are open and they, they can hear and listen to these messages and hear the stories. Um, so what, what is the vision for Frank McKinney? Like where, what do you see yourself doing or where are you headed over the next well, you know, five years? If you go to my website, which is just my name, frank-mckinney.com, you can see some of the houses I've built. This one mm -hmm. I just finished on the ocean a month ago or two months yeah. ago. Um, it's my final masterpiece. I've been doing it 30 years. I'm retiring okay. from building spec houses after this one sells. Um, I, I'm going to continue to write. I'm going to continue to do the villages in Haiti. I'm kind of dabbling in ministry a little bit because I think people yeah. in business need to hear, not, not pulpit pounding or Bible thumping, yeah. But they need to hear, I went through the Bible a couple times, cover to cover, and I extracted re references to succeeding in the business of life. You know, not, not just to saving your soul, which is important, but we're, for those of us who are in business, what does the Bible say about that? And, and I really want to get out there and share that message. One of the things I did when I was in Anaheim last weekend. Um, so, you know, I mean, I mean, retirement for me from building spec houses doesn't mean I'm going to you know, sit on a front porch and rock in my rocking mm -hmm. chair. Uh, maybe it's more time to run ultra marathons. <laughs> yeah. Would you, uh, you know, you've, we've, you've touched on it a few times and I don't want to, I don't want to skip over it, but would you be willing to give us your testimony on, on, uh, your, your path and journey with Christ? Yeah. So it's really important. I don't want to turn anybody off, but I'm going to tell That's you okay. right now, there's a way to, if, if you are a believer, if you're a Christian, there's a mm -hmm. Bible passage. I mentioned it once chapter 12 from the gospel of luke verse 48 i'm going to paraphrase it to whom much is entrusted much is expected that's a great bible passage it happens to be a wonderful life mantra now if you're not religious agnostic atheist hindu muslim jew 
that passage is a great life mantra. Don't let the fact that it's a Bible passage yeah. freak you out. Right. Everybody watching this has been entrusted with some form of what I refer to as your professional highest calling, a gift God gave you to do something, to put food on your table, to do it a little bit better than most. Not better than everybody. That's egotistical. A little bit better than most. And therefore, you can make it, you can earn a living at it. Yeah. Well, what's your spiritual highest calling? And to the detriment of our spiritual highest calling, all we do is pursue our professional highest calling. More cars in the garage, more clothes in the closet, more food in the pantry. Well, I realize I've been given a gift to build these beautiful houses, on the, to design them, to build them, to fund them, to sell them to people who really don't need another house. These people, this $15 million house, I guarantee you this guy has houses, you know, all over the world, three yeah. or four other houses. What about the people who don't have houses? What, what about the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere where people are living in mud shacks covered with palm fronds for a roof and rodents the size of cats gnawing the toes and fingers of the, of the children as they sleep? Mm. So we went over there in 03, applied that passage to whom much is entrusted, much is expected, and started caring for the world's most poor and desperately homeless by building self-sufficient villages. Now, in the Bible, second only to love is money referenced. Money is referenced second in the Bible to love. So to be a responsible steward for the blessings God's giving you, which, he, you know, and that's not just, not just money, it's time, talent, and treasure. To be yep. a responsible steward, when you're on your knees praying for more at night, inventory your prayer sometime. More, more health, more love, more peace, more happiness, more money, more joy. Most prayers contain some form of more. And Christ, God wants to reward you with that form of more, but what are you doing with the more you already have? Yeah. What are you doing as a responsible steward for the blessings you already have? It's not a futuristic prayer. It's a now prayer. And I now, listen, I always wanted to be a modern day Robin Hood. I'm sorry. Forget that. When I was a kid, I wanted to be Robin Hood, period, not modern day. <laughs> and I get to play Robin Hood, I sell to the rich, and we build villages over there for the poor. So if Christ was roaming the earth today, not with a robe on and and sandals and a rope around his, but but with you know multicolored hair and, yeah. a, and a leather vest. Because it's cold, and, yeah. You know, like what would he do now? He do. I try to do what he would do now. Like be Christ with skin today, not mm -hmm. not stuck in the dogma and and the debate over religion. I don't get there. I'm I'm a doer, not a debater. I love it. Thank you. I appreciate that. What's um, this is this is something I, I always like to ask, and I'm interested to hear yours. Is uh, we all have a turning point, significant, critical moments or defining moments in our life where, had we decided to maybe go left instead of right, we you'd be in a completely different place. You wouldn't be in a treehouse on the ocean. Uh, you could be completely doing something completely different, just a total different path. But but you. Uh, you the ability to recognize those moments and, and the courage to take the decisions that you did has you where you are right now. Is there a moment that you, that, that you think of top of mind? I, I, yep. I know we're running out of time. I got two of them. One was I was in juvenile detention as a young boy. I was locked up seven times before the age of 18. And, and I, and I remember being in there realizing you got to quit this self-destructive behavior. I mean, I didn't know too much. It's 18, but I knew I had to stop that. And I left Indiana with a $50 bill and a one-way plane ticket right out of juvenile and came to Florida. I never went back. Mm -hmm. I swore off all unhealthy vices and temptations. 
And I also realized, Nate, and now, you know, I see a therapist and all that because I'm a pretty complicated guy, uh, <laughs> that I have an addiction to excitement. That, that addiction to excitement can come in a self-destructive way or can, the outlet can be self-destructive or it can be constructive. And for me, for 25 years, my almost 30 years, the constructive outlet has been building houses with an average selling price of 14 and a half million on spec without a buyer. You think that's exciting? You better <laughs> believe it's exciting. Yeah, I feel alive every day. But it's yeah. a constructive outlet for what had been a destructive tendency. Mm-hmm. So when you, you, you everybody's got demons. Everybody's got something that can hold them back. And this isn't, I, I can't take credit for this because Sigmund Freud and other noted psychiatrists say, we are who we are. Freud says after the age of four. Other psychiatrists say after the age of 12. So I, I'm not going to change. And guess what? You're not going to change. Whatever you're doing really well, I say amplify it recognize it, amplify it, ratchet it up. Whatever you're not doing well, in my case, self-destructive behavior, I'm probably not going to change that. I'm going to take it as it's wired into my synapses and redirect it into something constructive. It's another thing that gives you a little, you know, weight off the shoulders. It's like, I can't change. I'm never going to change. I can't. You're right. You're not going to change. Whatever's frustrating you redirect it into something constructive and watch what happens yeah what's um what are a few ways that we can uh find out more about you and uh they can follow you get a hold of your books things like that uh that are ins that are aspired to to uh do some of the things that you're doing the best thing to do really if you want to have a, have a lot of fun is go to frank hyphen mckinney so dash not underscore but frank dash mckinney.com there's all six books are there with sample chapters. So you can read those for free, not the whole book, but you can read a sample chapter. Now, by the way, if you buy a book from us or on Amazon, it provides 200 meals in one of my orphanages, one book on average between 150 and 200 meals in one of our orphanages where children were eating mud patties flavored with bouillon and lemon juice. They were eating them at our orphanages. They're eating two part protein, one part carbohydrate. Awesome. So go to the website. You can see the books. You can see the villages we're building in Haiti. You know, we've built of the 27 houses. I've been in 21 cities. So you can kind of take a tour of the whole country of Haiti and see where we're building. You can see the beautiful houses that I have built and the one I just finished, which is the best I've done out of all 44. And you can see where I'm going to be speaking. I, you know, I was just in Anaheim and, and, and maybe if you're I'm in your area, you can come and you, know, you can come see me. But that's, it's a very entertaining, very interactive uh, website. It's updated almost every day. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll definitely get that linked up. What's uh last question? What, what book are you, you working on now? Am I writing or reading? Uh, writing, writing, writing. I have a sequel to the one I just released, the Christian romance novel that I owe my publisher. Uh, so yeah. I'm, I, I'm working on that one right now. Um, and then as far as reading, yeah, I'll tell you what, the, the best marketing book you can possibly read if you read it from a marketing perspective is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yes, uh -huh. Willy Wonka. Read <laughs> it from a marketing perspective. That guy was brilliant. I love it. Yeah. Great. And uh, with that, thank you so much for taking time today to, to be with us. And uh, I've had a great time. I could, I could continue to keep going on, but I know uh, I want to respect your time as well. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks, guys. And remember, motivation washes off. Aspiration wears off like the effects of a bad sunburn, but aspiration can alter your DNA. Go aspire. Thank you.
Bailey. 